2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The Christian life in this fallen world is not always easy. It's not always smooth. It's not always the way that we would want it to be. There's dangers all about, and we're apt to trip and fall. There's temptations ever before us, and we're apt to fall right into them and stumble. Sometimes we can avoid them. Sometimes we see them clearly and, and avoid them altogether, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we do stumble. Sometimes we do fall. Not only that, our own personal temptations in this flesh, in this world, but you also have enemies of Christ, imposters that look on us as God's people. The imposters see the flock of Christ as an opportunity to take advantage for various reasons um, that, that they have, whether power or, or money or whatever the case may be. They see... Christ's people, and like wolves, they come to seek and they come to devour. So you've got the dangers that way, to lead people from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus all fall into another doctrine or another uh, a gospel, which is no gospel at all. Add to that, we live in a wicked world that's full of mockers and scoffers who belittle the truth of the Bible who deny the truth of Scripture and then make light of foundational truths that are in the Scripture, such as the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the preoccupation is as if this world will continue on uh, for forever, that there is no return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they would like for you to live like that that there is no God who will judge the world, there is no Lord who will return again, wanting us to deny the reality of his return and to laugh and to mock at anybody that would uh, believe such a thing, that Jesus Christ is returning to this earth. Well, not much has changed since Peter's day because these same things were happening when the apostle was alive. And these same things are what prompted Peter to write this second letter. Whenever he writes it, he's now very close to the end. He's close to the end of his life. And he writes this letter to help God's people. Now, this is a fiery letter, especially chapter 2. He really gets fired up in chapter 2. And really comes down hard on the false prophets and and rebukes them uh, ferociously because 
of what their aim is. Their aim is to harm and draw away God's people. And Peter, his desire is to sure up the people of God, to warn them, to establish them. He wants them to avoid stumbling. He wants them to avoid falling. But also to know if you do fall, that there's grace to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can get back up. We're sitting down to listen to a man who knows something about temptation, who knows something about falling, and knows something about getting back up. And what he wants to do with the, the last of his life is to remind God's people of the grace that is found in Christ Jesus and to encourage them and to strengthen them and to remind them over and over and over again of the grace that is found in, in uh, Christ Jesus our Lord. He's going to remind them, he's going to tell them, and he's going to tell them again. He's going to warn them and encourage them because that's what's most important. This is what's on Peter's heart and on his mind as he nears the end. He wants to leave God's he wants to leave this world knowing that God's people have a, a confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at the first two verses this morning or this evening, but um, also kind of bring in some of the themes that you'll find in this book as, as we go along. So first of all, who's this from? Who's the letter from? Well, it's from a tested and tried man of God. Simon Peter is a tested and tried man of God. Now he has, uh, uses both his names here, Simon, or the Hebrew word uh, Simeon. That's the, parent, the name his parents gave him. And say, well, he didn't do that in First Peter. Why did he do it in Second Peter? Well, maybe he wants us to remind. Uh, maybe he wants to remind his readers who he was, and who Christ made him to be. Because Simon was a fisherman, whom the Lord called, saved, and he called, and made an apostle, made a preacher, made a servant, and then the Lord named him Peter. And that's who he was, and then Simon's who he was, and, and Peter is whom the Lord made him to be. Now, it's, you know, some people say that Simon always points back to when, before he was saved or when he was living, uh, maybe worldly, but that's not always the case. And I think you can push that too far, but but we can see where um, Simon did have some some problems. Um, for example, in John 21, we remember after Peter's fall. In John 21, verse 15, So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Joseph, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. 
He saith to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. So in this case, um, the Lord called him uh, Simon, and he asked him, do you, do you love me, Simon? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, we'll, we'll feed my sheep. Do you love me, Simon? Yes, Lord, we'll feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. So um, that may, the Lord may have used that name at that time to, to sort of convict him because the Lord, Jesus is the one that gave him uh, the nickname, Peter, which means uh, rock. So in the first chapter of John, we find that there, John 1, 42. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Or, or Pete Cephas or Peter. So, uh, the Lord is the one that named him Peter. He was going to be, he was a stone. And um, so the, that's his two names there. And maybe he gives us those two names, like I said, to, to remind us of who he was and who Christ made him. That he was a man, a sinner saved by grace, apt to fall as he did there when the Lord called him Simon there three times in John's Gospel. But he's also Peter, the one whom the Lord called, the one whom the Lord saved and redeemed and put into the ministry. So we're dealing with a man here. We're not dealing with a superhero. We're not dealing with someone, an angel. We're not dealing with someone that has some higher exalted spiritual state than you and I have. We're dealing with a sinner saved by grace. A sinner to whom the Lord showed mercy and compassion. A sinner to whom the Lord Jesus cleansed from his unrighteousness and called into his church, called into the ministry, called into service. So Peter gives us two names and he gives us two titles. He says he's a servant and an apostle. Servants want somebody whose life belongs to another. Peter's life didn't belong to him. Here he was up in age, but his life didn't belong to him. His life belonged to another. He was a servant. But it's an honor to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes in our pride we'd say, well, I, I don't serve anybody. I'm, I, I'm my own man. I do whatever I want. I do whatever I please. Well, Peter um, thought it an honor and a privilege to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I have that same blessed privilege as God's people to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are not our own, but we're bought with a price. Your body doesn't belong to you. Your life doesn't belong to you. You were bought with a price, with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. He, he, he paid for you. He redeemed you 
He bought you. And so we belong to him. And what a blessed privilege it is to belong to the Lord Jesus, to belong to the King. I'd much rather belong to the Lord Jesus than to belong to the devil. I'd rather be a servant of Christ than a servant of sin. I'd rather be bound and constrained by the love of Christ than bound and constrained uh, by the depravity of, of man. I'd rather be in the Lord's uh, family. I'd rather be in the Lord's service than under the service of, of iniquity. I'd rather be a servant of light than a servant of darkness. And, and Peter called out from darkness into his marvelous light, uh, considered an honor and a privilege to be uh, the servant of the Lord Jesus. But he's also an apostle. An apostle is a unique office. None of us are apostles, and we don't know any apostles, and there hasn't been any apostles since, since uh, John died. It was a unique office of people who were baptized um, by John or, and call, or called into the, the, uh, the office by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who had seen Christ in the flesh and who were taught um, the, of God. It was a unique office with authority that Christ had given these men. And so Peter had walked with Christ he had heard the message from Christ. He had saw his miracles. He had ate with him and touched him. His hands had handled him. He uh, lived and served with the Lord Jesus and called into this particular ministry that God the Holy Spirit had indwelt and um, blessed and empowered Peter in this particular way to give us the very words of God. So as we read 2 Peter, we are reading the, the word of God. And Peter, as an apostle, had the authority that God had given him to, to lay out the doctrines and lay out the messages and to call into remembrance all the things that Christ had taught them. And so during this time, when, when Peter writes this, there were apostles about that they could go and, and they could... They could hear Peter uh, tell, the, tell the, um, the story. They could go and listen to Paul tell the story. And, and others that had witnessed uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and had learned straight from him. But think about this. Peter's getting older now. And soon all the apostles will be gone. The Lord told him that he would, what manner of death he would die. And he knows that day is coming. And soon he'll be gone and John will be gone. And Paul will be gone and all the apostles will be gone. And then, then the, the people of God will be without this office that God had called. And he thinks about the people of God. And he thinks about the churches of God. And that moves him um, to write this letter. So inspired and moved by the Holy Spirit, he writes this letter um, to God's people. David Hemwell noted that the apostles knew that after their death, the gospel would be challenged. It already was challenged, even in this day. But even more so, after the apostles were gone, in essence, they knew the churches would need answers on que gospel questions, especially relating to the final judgment, Christ's coming, and in light of those realities, 
um, those an- these answers were provided. The apostolic age was drawing to a close. The future of the Christian faith could not merely rest on the strength of stories told about those who walked with Christ. These letters were written, um, these apostolic messages were written uh, to, to sure up and to strengthen, to establish the faith. So God the Holy Spirit has, has provided us this, uh, this letter that we might have the message of, of, of the apostles, this apostolic message, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, as we read this, we can be encouraged to know that we have uh, this truth that God has provided for us. So that's who the letter is from, a tried and tested apostle. Well, who's it to? Who's he writing to? Well, he's writing to a justified people united to Christ. So we have a tried and tested, tried and, and tested faithful man of God writing to a justified people united to Christ. A justified people united to Christ. Now, this letter is written to believers. It's not to church members or professors, but those who have truly believed, those who have obtained, it says, like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Because you could be a church member and not be saved. You could profess and not be saved. But Peter's heart and his mind is not on people who say that they're saved but they're not. Or people who come along with the, the people of God and not, or not, but it is to those who have obtained that like precious faith. So it's to believers. Now this is important because remember I said that chapter 2 gets kind of rough and even chapter 1 where um, that gives people that gives people some, some heartburn sometimes when they, they, they look at it from a different perspective as if uh, Peter wants us to doubt what Christ has done for us. No, he's not writing to people who are doubting what Christ has done or, or, or don't have what Christ has done. He's writing to people who have obtained. He's writing to Christians, to people justified in Christ and united to Christ. Why? Because they have obtained where they have received that like precious faith. Well, how do we receive this faith? Well, we, we believe the word of God that is preached. That's, that's true. So we can say, well, Peter has written this letter, and we receive that letter, this, this letter, and we receive and, and believe the same thing that Peter preached. But we, but we receive that faith, the gospel that we believe, we receive that as a gift of God. So there is the like precious faith, the one faith, the one gospel that that was preached in the first century, in the second, the third, um, all the way into today. There may have been definitions that were written uh, later on, but there was no new gospel written. The gospel wasn't um, 
developed. We have the like precious faith that, that Peter preached and Paul preached, and, and we believe it's the same gospel. There can't be another gospel because Paul said there's no gospel at all. The gospel that Paul preached is the gospel that we preach. And so in that regard, we have that like precious faith that, that Peter believed and preached. But it's also that faith, that, that God-given faith. By grace are we saved. That not of ourselves, but is the gift of God. That, that, that faith is the gift of God, rather. As we um, see in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse number 8. For grace are you saved through faith. Through faith. So, is, so how do we get that faith? Do we study for it? Do we take a test? No. That, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So here's this faith, this like precious faith that God gives us. We have obtained that faith by the grace of God. And we believe the faith once delivered unto, uh, once delivered, by the grace of God. And that faith once delivered has not been destroyed and has not been vanquished from the earth by the grace of God. So the message that the apostles preached remains by the grace of God. And the message that the apostles preached is received by sinners by the grace of God. So he's writing to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. So this is important. He's writing about this, this faith. And he's saying to all those who have received and obtained that like precious faith. So that's talking about you. If you've, if you've obtained that like precious faith, well, he's talking about you. Not just the people who got the, the, the document, but the, the, he's talking about you as well. What Christ revealed and what Christ preached and what uh, he, he taught and gave to the apostles and what they taught and what they preached was passed on um, to the churches. And we have it here in the word of God. And that's what those churches taught and preached. And it's what um, the, the next generation taught and preached. All those who have been saved have been saved by receiving that like precious faith with him, with the apostles. It's not that there has to be new apostles. Peter had a unique and unrepeated office. But it's the common faith. That's what, uh, that's what links us to, to the... Uh, to Peter, it's that common faith. We have the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism that has not been um, has not been lost. It did not need to be recovered, but it's that like precious faith um, that the apostles taught and believed. Now Peter is different in that he received divine revelation. But in the same sense, we are united together as the people of God, with that one faith together with all the people of God down through the ages. Peter wants to assure 
um, the churches, Douglas Moo said that, that they have the they that they have a status in the new covenant of believers fully equal to that of himself and to all other Christians. So could you imagine reading this and, and Peter says you have you've obtained that like precious faith with us. Imagine you're a Gentile and you, you're hearing a letter from Peter. He says, you've got that same precious faith like us, with us. Not off to the side, not a, a lesser status of Christian, but with us. Now, there's not, there's not the, the varsity level Christians and the junior varsity level Christians or the A team and the B team uh, that, that some people, the haves and the have-nots. There are those who are united to Christ. And those who are united to Christ have the Holy Spirit. They have the blessings of the new covenant. And they have obtained that like precious faith, um, as Peter said, with us. Not Jew and Gentile, not man and woman, but God's people. That's, that's a comforting thought. That's an encouraging thought to consider that, that um, God saves us by his grace and unites us to himself by his grace through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we receive this faith through the righteousness of God. So here we are lawbreakers outside the covenant, uh, outside, uh, outside the people of God. We weren't a people. Lawbreakers under the wrath of God, but by grace we have obtained that like precious faith and have received the righteousness of God. That righteousness of God has been imputed to us. We have received the righteousness that we didn't have. We have received the righteousness that we couldn't earn. We have received the righteousness that was required for us to stand before God. We couldn't, we couldn't earn it. We couldn't uh, get it for ourselves. But by grace, we've received the righteousness of God. Imputed to our account. So we stand tonight as God's people stand righteous before the Almighty God, having received Christ's righteousness as our own. You read those passages of Scripture where it says that we must be holy for He is holy. And you read those passages where no unclean thing will enter into the new heavens and the new earth. But no sin will stand before His presence. And you think it to yourself, I'm a sinner. Oh, how I've broken God's law. How I've failed. How I've stumbled. How I've uh, dishonored my Lord. How I've sinned in ignorance and, and sinned willingly. What hope do I have? Well, you have that hope in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that you can stand before God righteous 
cleansed from all iniquity, received the pardon through the blood of Christ, but have that perfect righteousness which the law requires. We are complete in Christ. We have a right relationship to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have received and have obtained that precious faith by which we can stand before the holy God, pure and clean and righteous, and have all that is required to stand before his presence and to stand in a right and good and pure relationship with the holy God with no need of fear and no need of, of, of hesitation, but to boldly come before the throne of grace with all assurance, with full assurance, knowing that we have a mediator, the man Christ Jesus, that we have his righteousness and we have our sins forgiven. We have the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I think Peter here is saying that Jesus, our Savior, is God. He's referring not to a second God, but the second person of the Holy Trinity. The righteousness of God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You read in the Old Testament, it, it says the... Uh, it said that uh, it, it calls the Lord uh, Jehovah my righteousness. And I think Peter's echoing that from the Old Testament. The righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. The righteousness that we have is that imputed righteousness of the, the obedience of our Lord Jesus So as he, he writes this, he writes for, as a tried and true believer, he has fallen, he has persevered, and continues to do so. And he writes to a justified people, united to Christ. Why does he write to them? Well, it is for blessing, strength, and knowledge. So that's why, that's the purpose Blessing, strength, and knowledge. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says, grace and peace be multiplied. We can, we receive all that we have through grace. And we, have, we are at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can't be more at peace with God tonight than you, are, than you are, were yesterday, or you can't be more at peace tomorrow than you are today. You can't be more justified today than you will be in the future. There's, um, there's a couple people famous preachers that uh, they believe the doctrines of grace, but they also teach a, a final justification that we're, we're justified, but there's a final justification that, that takes place in eternity. Well, we've already received our final justification. We are justified. And so we don't get more 
justified. We don't have more peace with God as if we're, um, we're on speaking terms, but sort of uh, not, not all the way uh, 100% peace or whatever the case may be. No, we have peace with God. Well, how is it multiplied? Well, I think it's talking about we can experience more of the peace of God. And we can be blessed with more of the, the gifts of God. So we can, have, we can be blessed with more assurance. It's not that we are more sure, because you can't be more sure uh, in United to Christ, but you can have more assurance. So you can be justified, you can be saved, you can be eternally secure, if you want to call it that, and nothing can take us from the hand of the Father, nothing can take us from the hand of the Son, and yet be overcome with doubts and fears. Now, it ought not to be that way, but that's just the fact. You can be. That your heart can be troubled even though you're in no danger whatsoever. The disciples were in that boat and it was going up and down. They said, Master, cares thou not that we perish? Don't you care we're all going to die? Well, Jesus was down there asleep. Why? They weren't in any danger. The disciples didn't know that. They thought they were about to die. And they were, they were screaming and, and, and yelling and, and accusing the Lord. Don't you care we're all going to die? They had no assurance. They had no peace. Well, Jesus wakes up and says, peace be still. And the, the wind stops blowing and the, the sea stops rocking. And What manner of man is this? Well, what did they have after that? Well, they had more confidence in the Lord after that, didn't they? But were they more safe? Were they more safe after the storm or during the storm or before the storm? No, they were safe with Christ. But they experienced their, their peace, their, their blessings were multiplied by Christ displaying his power and showing them and teaching them. So they learned more about Jesus and now they have their, their gifts have been multiplied. So it's not the standing with God, but the blessings received. So through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace is multiplied in our hearts. These gifts are multiplied through the knowledge of God and Christ. So let's go back to the disciples in the boat. The waves are rocking. They're all scared. You think if they did a Bible study on assurance, if that would help them at this time? No, that's not what they needed at that time. Assurance of salvation, it's, if you try to find, find it by looking at assurance, you're not going to get it. But if you look to Christ, that's when you'll get it. You don't have more assurance by looking up scriptures, looking up assurance. You get more assurance by looking to Jesus. We don't get more peace by looking for peace. We get more peace by looking to Jesus. We get assured in our soul by looking to Christ. We gain in the discovery of these graces by looking unto Jesus. Because he is the object of our faith and he is our standing, our righteousness, the giver of all gifts. He is our salvation. 
And so as we look to Christ and the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, it is through that, it's through that understanding, it's through that knowledge of Christ that our hearts are blessed with grace and peace multiplied. Grace and peace are multiplied by focusing on where we get our grace and peace, not the grace and peace itself. We have peace with God through the work of Christ. We have assurance of pardon through the blood of Christ. We have peace with God and good standing with the Father in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it stands to reason as we look to Christ, for whom we are saved by his grace, if we look to Christ, to whom we have peace through his um, priestly work, and if we look to Christ, and to whom we have pardon through his blood, the more we look to him, the more confidence that we have in his power, in his work, in his grace, in his salvation. So we gain in those gifts, and we gain in those blessings by looking not to the blessings, but looking to Christ. So this is what he wants us to have. Grace and peace be multiplied through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Through this divine power, in verse 3, as divine power hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. See, this is the theme of the book. These great, <coughs> excuse me, these great and precious promises. In verse number 4. It is by these great and precious promises that we've been made partakers of the divine nature. And then at the end of the book, in chapter 3 and verse 17, Therefore, beloved, seeing ye now, or therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, before beware, lest ye be led away with error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that gives you a clue to what this book is about because that's how it starts and that's how it ends. There's bookends on each end of the book about the grace and peace of God through Jesus Christ and it's multiplied through the knowledge of that, of that gospel. Peter stresses the importance of knowing the truth in chapter 1 the dangers of believing the lies of the heretics in chapter 2, and the, the benefits and the soundness of knowing the truth about his return in chapter number 3. This letter is written to strengthen the saints, to establish the root word um, established or, or stable, or, or the, the opposite of that, unsteady and unstable, it's found in chapters 1, 2, and 3. The false teachers are unstable, and he wants us to be established. His aim is not to tread new ground, but to sure up what Christ has already given. The rebuke is hard in chapter 2, because Peter doesn't play nice with heretics. But there's a need to sure up the believers and to warn of the dangers. And it's to rescue the fallen. Verse 9, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten he was purged from his old sins. This is Simon Peter. 
not the superhero. But he's the one where Jesus said in Matthew 26.31 of the disciples that they would be offended or they would fall away. Matthew uh, 26, 31. Then saith Jesus to them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Or Thayer says offended to be a, a stumbling block in which another may trip and fall. Peter writes that we not fall. Verse number 10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make sure your calling and election is sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. Peter failed. Jesus said, you're going to fall. Peter says, not me. Everybody else will run away. I won't. And what happened? He fell. So now he's writing, says, I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to do what I did. So listen to me so that won't happen to you like it did to me. In Luke uh, 22, verse 31, it says this, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that they, thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And so what's Peter do? Chapter 1, verse 12. Wherefore I will not be neg negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Jesus said, you're going to fall. Satan wants to destroy you, but I've prayed for you. But your faith not fail. And when you're converted, and when you're restored, and when you come back, strengthen the brethren. So Peter, at the end of the life, says, I, I, can't, I can't leave this world without telling you this, to remind you, to stir you up, to establish you in the truth. Helms uh, said that you can fall. Peter shows us you can fall and yet still finish. You can wipe out and still be restored. You can have regrets and yet know what it is to be rescued by Christ. You might have equivocated on your commitment to Christ in the past, but that doesn't mean you can't live to see the day when you're established and in some way strengthened in Christ. Welcome to Peter's book of lessons. They'll put you on a secure and solid ground. For by grace you were meant to stand and not fall. So we're not we're not reading about some action hero, some superhero that never had any faults, always did everything right. This is a guy that would 
I'll never, I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll never deny you. I can walk in water just like you can, and then a few minutes later sink into the bottom of the, to the sea, right? So he, he would, his, his, his zeal was unmatched, but so were his failures. And, and he's riding one and says, don't do what I did, but listen to me. Don't fall. Here's the path. Here's the, here's the sure way. And if you fall, there's grace. There's grace to be restored, to be recovered. Look to Christ and be encouraged. Look to Christ and, and be established. Look to Christ and have grace and peace.